Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. We are in Ephesians 3 tonight, page 1174 in the Church Bibles. And as we turn together to God's Word, let's pray for His help tonight. Father, we thank you for your spirit who has revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets the great mystery of Christ. We thank you that before us tonight we have the fruit of that, what the holy apostles and prophets wrote for us. And Father, we pray for your help. We need your help tonight. We have hearts that wander we get uh, weary, we get discouraged. Father, please, would you open afresh our eyes to understand this uh, once and for all word uh, given to us by your Spirit, that we may live lives of courage and lives of service that bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is quite a plan. If you've been with us over the last few weeks here at the 6.30 service, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we've been seeing that God has a master plan for the world, which means that history is not random or pointless. There is a direction to it. There is a purpose to it. God is at work in the world. He is at work to bring all things in heaven And on earth, together under one head, even Christ, he has found a way to bring those who are dead to life in Christ. He has found a way to bring the worst of enemies together as friends, both horizontally and vertically. It is quite a plan. It sounds glorious. It is wonderful. And yet, the thing is, often, it just doesn't really feel true in our experience. If we look around at this country and look at the state of the church in this country, we see so often a church that is in decline, a church that is very good at being disunited, at, if you like, being enemies rather than friends. The number of people attending church in the last 50 years in this country has halved And it will probably get worse. I read this week that the number of people under 20 attending church has dropped by 90% in the last 20 years. And that generation will grow up and will come through and will be the generation of the future of the church. As we look at our country, it doesn't feel as if God has a master plan. Or if he does, it's just not working very well. Or what about our experience of church? Perhaps on a Sunday, in our small group. Uh, Maybe for some of us, church is always and constantly a joy and a wonderful experience. But I know for many, it's more variable. Uh, Maybe we find it hard to be here on a Sunday. Maybe we find the conversations afterwards over coffee difficult. We don't know who to talk to, what to say. Maybe our small groups, we find the people there, well, frankly, hard to get on with. Hard to be friends, hard to open up to. 
Personally, it doesn't feel as if God has a master plan that is working in the world. And so, so often our experience doesn't seem to match the claims that are made for us in Scripture. And so we wonder, if God's master plan really is true, why doesn't it feel like it often? Well, Paul has much to say about this in the rest of his letter, and we'll see much about this in the coming weeks. But, but here in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, Paul has written this particular section for people who are asking this very question. For people whose experience of life doesn't seem to match the claims of Paul's master plan that he's outlined in the first few chapters. Look at how Paul begins chapter 3, verse 1. He's just been explaining how God has brought enemies together to be friends, how God's master plan works. And then in verse 1 he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he pauses. We know what he's about to say because in verse 14 he picks up his train of thought again. Do you see verse 14? Uh, For this reason, the same reason as verse 1, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And what follows is one of the most glorious prayers in all of the New Testament. Paul's about to pray for the Ephesians. But in verse 1, he he says something which which makes him stop before he begins to pray. He, He pauses. And what causes him to pause, I think, is his mention of the fact that he's a prisoner. His chains. And I think the point is this. He realizes that he, he writes from, from, from prison, probably in Rome, and as he talks about God's master plan and Christ being ahead of everything, it sounds a bit odd if Paul, his messenger, his, the, the apostle Christ, is, is in prison with the emperor Nero seeming to be in charge, with the Jews up in arms against Paul. It doesn't sound like the master plan's working. And he can imagine the Ephesians being unsettled by the fact that Paul's experience of God's master plan doesn't look very impressive. I think we're on the right track because of verse 13 of how Paul ends the section. He says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul is worried that the Ephesians become discouraged by Paul's experience of hardship and particular of his chains. And so he writes to help people who struggle with experience, trying to match God's master plan with real life and these verses before us uh, tonight are here to to help us to be not discouraged to be encouraged that there is a plan it is happening it will come to fulfillment nothing has gone wrong this little break before the great prayer verse 14 is in fact a wonderful and most important section for us tonight as we look at a church struggling in this nation as we struggle with our own experience of church Paul says, do not be discouraged. Why? Well, first of all, because the plan comes from God. Verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Think, if you would, of of a curator of an art gallery given the job of looking after hundreds of priceless works of art. And the job of the curator is not just to store them safely, but also to display them 
so that others can come and enjoy the beauty of the art. Well, that's the sense here in Ephesians. Paul has been made, if you like, the, the curator, the administrator, uh, the trustee, not of priceless art, but of something far more precious, God's grace. And this job of administrating or, or stewarding this grace is a job that, that God has given to Paul. Paul didn't dream up the plan down in Costa Coffee in Broom Hill. He didn't dream it up walking with a couple of mates one afternoon up in the hills. No, this plan came from God. Verse 3. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Do you see? Paul wants the Ephesians and us here tonight to be crystal clear that this master plan, the, the great plan of Ephesians 1 and 2 that we've seen, is God's plan, not Paul's. And then I think Paul anticipates a question from the Ephesians. It goes like this. Okay, Paul, um, if this plan does come from God and it is accurate and, and true, how come only you know about it? How come you've got the special inside track into God's plans? It's a fair question. I think of all the Jewish scholars over the centuries who knew the Old Testament inside out, memorized it page after page. It was their job to understand the message of the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't see what Paul saw. How come, how come Paul comes along and, and sees what they haven't seen? This mystery uh, in uh, Paul's language. Well, Paul explains, verse 4. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Why does Paul understand God's master plan when others didn't? It's all to do with this mystery that Paul talks about. Uh, mystery. Uh, I find the Times cryptic crossword mysterious. Um, you know, I can look at the clue, I can guess, I have no idea. A friend tells me what the answer is, they even explains to me how the answer matches the cryptic clue, and I still don't get it. It's a, it's a mystery, it's a riddle, a puzzle to me. But that is not how Paul uses the word mystery in Ephesians. A mystery is not something hard to understand, that's something that only a few people can get if they've got the right technique. Rather, it is something that has been kept hidden, but has now been revealed. Uh, it's a bit like this uh, road sign I came across this week. We've got it there, the road sign. Um, I'm, not, I'm talking about the brown bit at the bottom. So you can't see it. Uh, it says on the bottom of the road sign, it says, uh, secret nuclear bunker that way uh, in other words um, near Brentwood northeast London at one time there was a secret nuclear bunker no one knew about it but thanks to this rather large road sign now everyone knows about this not so secret nuclear bunker do you see what was secret has now been made known it's not hard to understand the sign or the logic 
It's not mysterious that way. It's mysterious because it was hidden and now it's been made known. It's an open secret. The word is out. And that is how Paul uses mystery here. The mystery is how Jew and Gentile, the worst of enemies, can be brought together as friends. And not just together, but also how they can be brought together as friends with God when they were once enemies with God. The mystery is how can this happen? And the answer is the cross of Christ. That is how it happens. And that is what was not made clear in the Old Testament, but has now been made clear by the Spirit who has helped the apostles and prophets, those who wrote the New Testament scriptures, to help them understand, including Paul, how the cross of Christ makes that master plan possible. And now that the word is out, now that the mystery has been revealed, verse 6, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. Don't be discouraged, says Paul. The plan, it does come from God. I think this is so important for us to remember. Our understanding of the world and our, and our view of God must not be built on our experience, on, on what our eyes can see day in, day out. No, it, it must be built on God's revelation of himself to us by his spirit in his word. And God has given us his revelation. He's given us uh, that once for all work of the apostles and prophets given to us now in his written word that we may understand once and for all what his plans are. We don't go by our experience. We go by his revelation. I'm sure we've seen it all happen. Um, People get involved in church. They, They come along on a Sunday they come because it fits their experience. It's easy, it's convenient. They, um, they make friends. And perhaps it, it enriches their academic understanding that their children enjoy the groups. There's a sense of belonging. They make lots of friends. But what happens when their experience of church changes? When perhaps their friends move away, uh, people move on. Uh, perhaps friendships go a bit sour. Uh, perhaps the kids stop coming or, or it feels boring or life gets busy. We've all seen this. People stop coming to church. They give up on church. And that will always happen if we base our opinion of church on our experience of church. We'll only be there as long as it works for us. But there is a much more stable and firm foundation It kept Paul going through his experience of prison and it can keep us going through any high and low in our church experience. It is God's revelation. Don't be discouraged, says Paul. The plan comes from God. Don't be discouraged uh, next because the messenger was chosen by God. As the general election draws near in a few months' time, there's been lots of talk again recently about what people call career politicians. That is, uh, people who are are in politics, uh, not because they have a particular policy that they are passionate about or because they have a cause they want to stand for, but rather because in and through politics, they have a way to discover power and they have access to it in a way they wouldn't otherwise. They can influence people because they're politicians 
And when people talk about career politicians, there's a certain sense of cynicism about whether you can trust a career politician because they're just there um, for the power. They'll change their policies, they'll change their tunes as long as they get the most popularity, the most votes. But in this, in this next section, Paul shows us that he's no career apostle, if you like. Now look at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. It was on the Damascus Road that Paul encountered the risen Lord. He was heading in one direction, utterly opposed to Jesus, persecuting the church. But God graciously, profoundly, powerfully revealed himself to Paul and changed him forever. And Paul is clear what this means, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul makes up a new word here. Uh, He's trying to find a way to describe just what he was like before he encountered Christ. Uh, We have it in our English. He was uh, less than the least. Actually, it's one word. It's literally, I was the leaster. People say it's the, um, the comparative of a superlative, um, whatever that means. Uh, but Paul makes up a word. It doesn't exist, but he, he coins it to show just how, how insignificant he was. He was an enemy of God, a violent man, persecuting Christians and against Jesus. The least, the least of everyone. And what changed was that he met Jesus. He didn't deserve it. He had a deadly past. And it's only because Jesus met him and called him. And Paul's transparency about his former life is so important. It underlines to his readers and to us, again, that God is the one who stands behind Paul's, Paul and his message. The fact that a guy like Paul, the leaster of anyone, the fact that he could become an apostle, the one who preaches the gospel, is a sign that God is the one who called him. So don't be discouraged. The messenger was chosen by God. Now, we aren't apostles. We don't have the same foundational role that Paul had in making this mystery known. And yet, as Christians, each of us are called to tell others about God's master plan, to tell them about Jesus and life that comes through him. And there's a challenge for us here tonight. We need to be those, as we speak about Jesus, that are transparent about why we understand the master plan. Why it is that we understand that we were dead and have now been made alive in Christ. It is not because uh, we deserve to understand or because we've somehow worked it out because we're clever or that we uh, were good moral people beforehand. No, it's, it's because Christ stepped in and made us alive while we were dead. Uh, if you like, we are not the hero of the story. Jesus is. I love Paul's contrast. He says, uh, the messenger is the leaster of all people. The message, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see the contrast between the messenger and the message? That is our role, too. 
to be a messenger who understands that we have a deadly past, that we are the least of all people, but we have a wonderful message, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And when people meet us and we describe to them what's changed in us, they need to know that it is God who has done it and not us. Uh, this will change how we view people. Imagine uh, we're at school or in the office tomorrow and someone says to us, so how was your weekend? And we say, well, it was great. I went along and I was involved at church on Sunday. Oh, why did you go? And you explain something of Jesus and what he means to you. And as you're talking, you see their eyes glaze in. You can tell them starting to kind of fidget and they look for a way to change the conversation as soon as possible. Well, how do you respond when someone hears this wonderful news of Jesus and they couldn't care less? If you're like me, I guess a range of emotions, perhaps we're frustrated, uh, perhaps we get impatient. Oh, come on, why can't you understand this? Or perhaps we're disheartened, or we'll never understand it. But if we adopt Paul's honesty, if we remember, like Paul, that we were once those who have a deadly past, and it is only through Christ that we have been given life, then as we look at our friends, the people we're talking to, we'll know that we're just like them. We're no different from them. If they don't understand it, we didn't understand it. It's only because Christ stepped into our lives, as he did with Paul, as he did with us, that we understand. And it helps us to be humble, to be gentle with how we explain Jesus. And it also helps us to keep going because God does bring people, like Paul, like us, from death to life. Don't be discouraged, says Paul. The messenger was chosen by God. Don't be discouraged, finally. The church reveals the wisdom of God. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What a verse. Amazing. Although we can't see it, the reality is there nonetheless. There are spiritual forces at work. Paul talks about them being in the heavenly realms. They also operate in this earthly realm now. We can't see it, but they are real. Paul has talked about them in Ephesians 2, verse 2. He'll talk about them again in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Imagine these real but unseen spiritual forces looking down on the earth from wherever they are living. Imagine they've got the kind of the heavenly uh, version of Google Maps looking down at the earth and they start to zoom in from way up high, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. Now, what do they see as they look down at Google Maps? What catches their eye? What impresses them? What do they think? Oh, wow, that's amazing about the earth. Is it perhaps a big city like London with all the glowing lights at night stretched out across miles? Or maybe they zoom in further and further. They see grand buildings, uh, impressive dams, railways, all the signs of human effort. Is that what impresses them? No. Do you know what impresses them? Do you know what makes them shudder? And take notice, the church. In fact, the gathering here tonight 
is what makes them shudder, is what makes them sit up and take notice. The fact that in this room tonight, there are several hundred people of different ages and stages, different generations, different backgrounds, different educations, different hobbies. The fact that we're all here tonight for one reason, because we are in Christ and want to praise Christ, because of the cross of Christ. The the existence of this event here tonight is what makes these rulers shudder. They see here tonight the wisdom of God. They see that God's plan to bring enemies together to become friends is working. The great endeavor of the devil from Genesis 3 onwards is to create separation and division between God and humanity and from other humans. He wants us to be isolated, cut off, distant, alienated enemies. And he tempts us and he tugs us and he pulls us away from what is right. But when he sees the church, us here tonight, together, unified, made one because of the cross, he knows he has lost. He sees the wisdom of God in practice and he shudders. Perhaps you are the kind of person who watches Winter Watch or Autumn Watch on TV. I watch it occasionally. Um, I'm getting middle-aged, um, so that's what I do. Uh, imagine a scenario, you know, kind of uh, one evening uh, out late at night with, with the cameras. They go into a cave uh, with, with the kind of normal uh, visual cameras, and you're trying to see what's in the cave, and you look around, and it's just a black screen. You can't see anything. And then they flick on the super infrared camera and suddenly you can see bats or badgers or bugs or whatever it is. But, but they've been there all along in the cave, but you just couldn't see it until you get the right camera lens. But with the right camera lens, then you see what's really happening in the cave. Well, I think that's what Paul is doing for us here in, in verse 10. He swings his camera around to us here tonight, this ragged bunch of people sitting here tonight. And he looks at us. And he uses the kind of normal human camera. And what does he see? Well, he sees, you know, us. Sort of normal people just sitting here tonight with all our ups and downs and worries and concerns and thinking about Top Gear. It's on at 8 o'clock tonight. Um, wondering if we get home in time to watch it. Will the sermon finish in time for it? Um, and then he flicks on the other camera. The, the camera that sees the spiritual reality that is there. And he sees that we are causing the devil to shudder here tonight. It's true. God has chosen to use this moment and this moment across the world when his people gather. In the course of all of eternity, of all the ways he could do it, he has chosen this gathering to display his wisdom to the world. Because it shows that the cross works. The enemy has lost. And the church reveals his wisdom to the world. There will be some here tonight who are thinking about giving up on church. I don't know why, uh, for different reasons. Uh, Some of us here tonight will think that church just feels too small, too insignificant. There are things, frankly, we prefer to be doing on a Sunday evening that feel more immediate, more relevant, more life-changing, even possibly top gear. There will be others tonight who feel as if life is squeezing church out, Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career which means that we're constantly traveling week in, week out, away from other Christians. 
Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's just sheer fatigue because of an over-busy diary. There'll be others here tonight who will keep coming to church, but somewhere a few years ago, our, our expectations of church just dropped. Our joy at being here is gone. Oh, we'll be here every week. We're good and dutiful Christians, but we just don't look forward to it. We don't expect much at church. I don't know why some of us might stop coming to church. I don't know why some of us might want to give up on church. But please believe Ephesians 3 verse 10. It may be unseen. It may not feel like it. But the reality is this. That what is happening when Christians gather? Here tonight in our small groups. That moment as we learn to love one another and to commit to one another and to forgive one another and to bind ourselves together with one another, to share life with one another, to submit to one another, to pray for one another. As that happens, these moments are cosmic. They are eternal. It is the proof that the devil has lost and God is one. And church now is just a little snapshot of what the redeemed world will look like in the new creation when God's master plan is seen for all of its glory. Don't be discouraged, says Paul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the reality of this world. We thank you that we don't need to rely on our experience, which goes up and down day by day. But we thank you that in your word, we know exactly what is happening. Father, please, would you give us a fresh confidence, a fresh belief that your master plan is advancing, that the devil has been defeated. And that what is happening in and through your people is your plan for the world that will come to fulfillment. Father, we pray this, that we may be the people you want us to be. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.